Heavenly Father, you were very faithful to your grumbling people of old. And you gave them what they needed, Father, every day. And you do not change. You are the same yesterday and today and forevermore, Father. And we thank you that you know what we need every day and you provide it. And we thank you very much indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you'll remember that... uh, We're in uh, Matthew's uh, Gospel, it's about the King and his Kingdom, and as Nick reminded us, one of the key things in uh, this particular section, the Sermon on the Mount, is about the fatherhood of God. I hope you had a lovely earthly father. I'm not sure whether my father was a Christian or not, but I had a good father, and uh, if you didn't, well, uh, praise the Lord that you have the most beautiful father in heaven, if you're a Christian. And uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 uh, to 34. I just want to tell you where we're going. Uh, We're going to have a look, um, uh, review a perspective on the kingdom. We're going to look at a principle of the kingdom. We're going to look at a couple of pictures of the kingdom And then we're going to look at the practice of the kingdom. And we should be done by about half past seven, I think. Um, (laughs) Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, we have to ask what it's there for. Uh, And last week, Rich set the context for us in verses 19 to 24. Jesus makes three contrasts to give us a perspective on his kingdom. Uh, He talked about two treasures. And the question is, where do we lay up our treasure? Is it in heaven, uh, an eternal treasure, or is it uh, uh, something else not as good? Uh, He talks about two visions. Where do we fix our eyes? And then two masters. Actually, the word master means slave owner. Two slave owners. Who do you want to serve? Uh, And Jesus explains that behind the choice between the two treasures and two visions, there lies that still more basic choice between two slave owners. And Jesus' kind and encouraging teaching is this. As our hearts are set on heavenly things, as we're looking to see the spiritual realities in life, and as we're serving uh, God, the good slave owner, um, then we don't need to worry. Uh, Therefore I tell you, says Jesus, and he gives us a principle of the kingdom. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Um, have you ever found yourself worrying? Don't put your hands up. I don't want to know. <laughs> have you ever found yourself going over and over and over a problem that disturbs you? You can't leave it alone. It's like a spiral staircase where you keep on going down and round and down and round. And it's, uh, oh dear, 
It makes you distressed and it makes you agitated and you can't let go. The root of idea of the verb worry means to be pulled apart. That's worry, it pulls you apart. Uh, but don't worry don't, doesn't mean don't be concerned. You know, if you've got small children and you're not concerned about them playing near traffic, well, there's something wrong. Um, you need some degree of concern for your health, otherwise you won't go for medical checkups, will you? In our family, that's been very important to us. Concern is when you can do something to help a situation, so you do what you can do. Worry is when you can't do anything but you don't want to leave it in God's hands. Worry is kind of concern gone haywire. I think my Heavenly Father has a sense of humour in arranging for me to deliver a sermon on worry. Uh, when my family, my children, found out today that I was uh, giving a sermon on worry, they fell about in hysterics. Uh, what? Why, why you? I mean, you are the worst example of a warrior. Uh, and it's true. If worrying was an Olympic sport, I would have won gold medals at every Olympics game since 1948, the year I was born. Um, and <laughs> the physical and emotional feelings of worry, they are unpleasant, you know. Um, if you struggle with significant anxiety... Uh, like me, the feelings can be very bad indeed. Uh, feeling sick, headaches, not sleeping, uh, sometimes panic. Uh, so if you don't suffer from worry, then please have compassion on those of us who do. And that's why you can see actually the kindness and compassion of the Lord Jesus here. You see, his command is for our joy. Sometimes when people hear about commands, they go, oh, not another one, I haven't dealt with the last lot yet. But this is for our joy. He doesn't want his children to suffer from the impact of worry. He says that the anxiety that you suffer that feels so terrible, it needn't be like that. You see, at the time of Jesus, most people just had the basic necessities. Food and drink, and clothing, and shelter. And because meeting those basic needs depended on the weather and a good harvest, they had plenty of things to be anxious. Uh, would they get enough food? Um, would they be able to provide clothing for themselves and their families throughout the year? Well, today... Actually, you've only got to glance at the adverts on TV or in newspapers or in magazines to see that 2,000 years after Jesus told us not to worry about food and drink and clothing, these are the very things that consume our everyday thoughts. What will we eat? What are we going to drink? And what are we going to wear? Food and drink and clothes are our modern world's trinity of care. You know, Jesus doesn't despise your body and its needs because he made it and he takes care of it. He taught us to pray, didn't he? Give us today our daily bread. And he tells us three times in our passage, don't worry. It's in verse 25 and 31 and 34. And Jesus is emphasising that a principle of his kingdom is 
not to worry. And worrying about uh, material things, actually it's unnecessary, it's unhelpful, and it's unbelief. Uh, Worry about uh, physical necessities suggests that our entire existence focuses on and is limited to those things. And if it is, well, it shouldn't be. So Jesus asks questions. Now, they're not like the questions that Nick asks us at our gospel community meetings on Wednesday. You see, Jesus, the answer to Jesus' questions are really obvious. And it begins with, is not life uh, more than food and the body more than clothes? And the answer, of course, is uh, yes, it is. You see, we're made in God's image. We're not machines. We're not animals. We're not plants. We're not birds. We mustn't downgrade ourselves to the level of the animals and the birds and the the plants. And we mustn't reduce ourselves to the level of just kind of machines. We're made in God's image. So we must have a very high view of what it means to be a human being. So our life is more than the food that we eat and the drink that we drink and the clothes that we wear. Food and drink and clothing are the basics of life. And Jesus says that God will meet our need for these basics that we worry about. Last week from Rich, you learned uh, a perspective on the kingdom. Now Jesus has given us the principle of the kingdom. Don't worry. And here, Jesus gives us some pictures of the kingdom. He shows us why worry is unhelpful and unnecessary, and in fact it is unbelief. And he gives pictures from his creation to show something about God's nature and character to help us. That God actually is a good and a kind and a generous provider. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow uh, or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? You can just look out of your window and you'll see birds. Uh, Look out of the window and you've got the same opportunity as these disciples did to learn the lesson that Jesus is teaching. Jesus says that we should look at the birds, consider them, think about them, learn from them. You see, birds don't do farming. They don't plough fields, they don't sow seed, they don't water the ground when it's dry, they don't reap when it's harvested. In fact, they pick my berries, I know what they do. They don't store in barns, they don't do any of that. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. He knows what they need. And he provides for them. He takes care of them. Did you see it says, your heavenly father feeds the birds. He's your heavenly father, not theirs. He argues from the lesser to the greater. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now if you love budgies or you keep pigeons, I don't want to offend you. But Jesus says you're more important than any bird because you are God's image bearer. And because your father God is a good creator, 
who even takes care of the birds, how much more will he take care of you, his child? You who he called by name. You for whom Christ died. Jesus calls on us not to be anxious, but to trust our heavenly Father. Later on, we'll get to it in the course of this year or perhaps next in Matthew 10. Um, uh, Jesus tells the disciples to trust their heavenly Father to provide for them. He's sending them out in twos to preach and he tells them, don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. Don't take a bag for the journey or an extra shirt or uh, uh, sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his keep. And then he tells them why they can rely on their father. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We can trust God to provide for us. Because he knows us so intimately that he knows how many hairs are on our head. Looking around. It's obvious that he took longer to count the hairs on some people's head than he did on others. Uh, But because he knows us so well, he knows what we need. And he'll meet our needs. And we can trust God to provide for us. Because the sparrows who, I don't know what's anything, two of them, sold for a penny. God knows when a sparrow hits the ground. Uh, They don't fall unless he wills it. And these birds... God cares for them so well and your Father will provide for you even more. So your worry and your anxiety about life's basic, about material stuff, food and drink and clothing, your worries unnecessary, save Jesus. You have a good and a generous Heavenly Father and he will faithfully provide. The next question Jesus asks is in verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Uh, Some translations say, can any of you, by worrying, add a single uh, inch to your height? And the answer, unlike in Nick's gospel community, is straightforward. No, you can't. Jesus says that worrying is not only unnecessary, it's unhelpful. You see, God gave us life. And now he will sustain our life till we come to the end of our days. He created our bodies and he sustains our bodies. We didn't make ourselves and actually we can't keep ourselves alive. That's a fact of our everyday experience. Now our life for which God is responsible is obviously uh, more important than the food and drink that nourishes it. And our body for which God is also responsible, is more important than the clothes that cover it and warm it. And if God takes care of the big things, our life and our body, then surely we can trust him to take care of the smaller things, our food and our clothing. That's why Jesus asked the question, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can you extend your life even by an hour? Uh, No. Some people say that worry even shortens your life, so I haven't got long to go. Um, Can you add an inch 
uh, to your height? No. Some people want to make themselves taller, don't they? When I was a boy, you could buy a, a lift to put in your shoes if you were a man to kind of, you know. Um, uh, they, they want to make themselves greater in the eyes of the world. What do folks think of me? Now I'm six foot ten. Uh, we search for the world's approval. We want their praise and their acceptance, but worrying about the approval of people uh, won't do anything to get it, you know. Just like worrying won't add to your lifespan, worrying won't make you taller. Worrying won't get any of those things for us. Worry doesn't accomplish anything. So worry is not only unnecessary, it's unhelpful. Jesus says that instead of worrying, we should trust the God who created and sustained our lives and our bodies. And then Jesus asks in verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? So Jesus has addressed our uh, physical needs for, for food and drink, which probably don't keep too many of us in the affluent West awake at night with worry. And he moves on to clothing. Why do you worry about clothes? Uh, many of Jesus' listeners and many of Matthew's readers... They only had a shirt and a coat. They were troubled, you know, about whether they would have enough clothing to keep them warm and, and to cover their nakedness. But we think a little differently, don't we? We open the door of our wardrobe and it's bulging, it's so full there isn't room for another coat hanger. And we say, I have nothing to wear. Um, well, it's... <laughs> somebody's nodding. Well, it's not true for most of us. What we mean is, I don't have anything new to wear. All my friends have seen me in these clothes before, and they'll all have something new on. So I need something. I wore that to the party uh, I went to last week. I can't wear that because I bought it last year, and it's not in fashion anymore. I have that problem. When I, we say <laughs> I've nothing to wear, we mean I don't have the clothes I need to impress other people. I don't feel pretty if you're a girl, handsome if you're a man. In any of the clothes that I have, I'm not in fashion. You know, clothes are linked to our image, how we want to be perceived by other people. It's about our status in the world. We want people to think we look good. So they'll admire us and praise us and accept us and love us. But Jesus says, why are you worrying about clothes? Being anxious about clothes isn't a good use of your time and emotional energy. And again, he uses a picture from creation to help us understand his kingdom. See the flowers of the field grow. See how they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Jesus says, look at the wildflowers. Consider them. Think about them. Learn from them. Look out your window. Drive down East Bawtree Road. Uh, you'll see wildflowers. Uh, you've got the same opportunity uh, as the disciples did to learn the lesson that Jesus is teaching uh, today. God makes the wildflowers grow. Uh, they don't work. But they're beautiful. So beautiful 
that even King Solomon, who was so fabulously rich and powerful that other rulers came to listen to his wisdom and see his wealth and power, even King Solomon, dressed in all his finest clothes, can't hold a candle to the way that God makes wildflowers that's so beautiful. Don't miss this. God is not only the creator and provider of basic things. He's the creator and provider of beautiful things. He makes the wildflowers beautiful. And they don't last very long, do they? There's a beautiful wildflower. It's here today. Gone tomorrow. Flowers today and tomorrow it's all wilted and dried up. And you're walking down your garden to put it in the compost bin. But Jesus says in verse 30, that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, one day they're here, next day they're gone. They don't seem all that significant, do they? But God takes care to make them more beautiful than Solomon in his best suit. These short-lived, temporary things. Can't you see that he's going to take care of your needs without stressing about them? The disciples, you know, they wouldn't have missed the irony of Jesus' words. That this is how God clothes the grass of the field. Because the Old Testament has several passages where human beings are compared to grass. In Isaiah 40 we read this, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of God endures forever. Jesus is reminding us that just like the wildflowers and the grass are short-lived, well, we don't live forever either. But just as God our Father cares enough to clothe the wildflowers so beautifully, he knows what we need and he'll take care of us. Have you ever thought about the clothing that God our Heavenly Father provides. The Bible tells you, you know, several places what the Father dresses his children in. Let me just remind you of Isaiah 61. It's a prophecy about Jesus. You'll be familiar with it if you've been a Christian for any length of time. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, it begins. And then verse 3 tells us that the father clothes his children like this. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And verse 10 adds this. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me. In a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Man alive, even me, 
This is what you're clothed with as children of God. Garments of praise. Garments of salvation. Robes of righteousness. You see, God is the perfect provider of the basics that we need. And they are beautiful. And the heartbeat of what Jesus is saying when he keeps telling us not to worry. Not to put all our emotional energy into getting what you need. Food and drink and clothing. It comes in verse 30. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus is revealing the foundation stone of our worry. And it's a heart issue. And the heart issue underlying worry is little faith. I'm a Christian. I believe who God is. And I trust who God is. But when I worry, and I do it too often, too often, when I worry, I'm not living as a Christian. I'm living like a functional atheist. I have spiritual amnesia. I'm not believing who God is. I'm not trusting who God is. I've forgotten God's goodness to me. I have little faith. When I'm worrying, I have a heart problem. When I'm really worried about something, and believe me, I often am, when I was preparing this, I asked uh, Dillis to give me an example of when I worry, and she wheeled off this long list of things. Uh, she never paused for breath. Sadly, she's right. When I'm really worried about something, I'm choosing to believe that God isn't able to take care of me. That he's insufficient in some way. That he doesn't know what I need. Or he doesn't care what I need. I'm saying that God is not the God as he reveals himself to be in the Bible. God says he's a great and a good and a gracious father who will faithfully provide for me. But when I worry, I'm not believing that he is the generous and faithful God and the provider that he is. And today, you know, we raise the issue of Worry to the level of a virtue. We measure the depth of our love by the amount we worry about someone. We measure the depth of someone's love for us by the amount they worry about us. But Jesus doesn't advocate worry as a measure of love. He says that worry is evidence that your heart is not fully trusting your Heavenly Father, that you have little faith. And then... Jesus brings us to a place of comfort and reassurance. He takes us from the perspective of the kingdom, the principle of the kingdom, don't worry, the pictures of the kingdom, the birds and the flowers. And he brings us to the practice of the kingdom. Jesus tells us the reasons why we should stop worrying. And he gives us positive things that we should do instead. First he says, believe, trust, remember who your heavenly father is. Verse 31, so do worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. The pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You know, we waste a lot of time and emotional energy on things that don't matter. 
Jesus says, we're asking the wrong questions. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Food and drink and clothing. Actually, the world, non-believers, worry over much about those things. People who don't know God as their father worry about those things. People who do not worship God, they run after those things. I was moved, you know, because Jesus is saying to me, stop living like someone who doesn't know God. Stop living like an orphan. Because I'm not an orphan. An orphan has no one to care for them. Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, cares for me because I'm one of his children. He cares for you. Because you're one of his children. You're not an orphan. You're a child of God. You have a heavenly father who knows exactly what you need. Do you remember Jesus' teaching on prayer? And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like them, for your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. Before we say a word, our heavenly father knows what we need. And for us, this side of the cross and resurrection, we know that God hasn't kept back from us what is most precious to him. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Brian Chapel commentator puts it like this our trust in God should be based not on our circumstances but on his character his infinite love in the sacrifice of his son assures us of his sovereign and eternal care Jesus suffering death and resurrection prove that God's purposes are not thwarted by pain and his affection is not exhausted by our experiences on this earth Jesus' death on the cross guarantees that our Father doesn't hold back from us anything that we need. God, our Father, is lavish with us. He knows what we need before we ask, and he makes perfect provision for us. We don't need to worry. We need to trust. We need to believe. Jesus says, don't live like people who don't know God. You do know God. You're a child of God. Trust the loving heart of your Father in heaven. So we're to trust, but then we're to seek. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Instead of worrying, trust your heavenly Father and seek his kingdom. Long to enter into the saving reign of God. Seek God's righteousness. Pursue a life of submission to the will of God. The kind of life that Jesus is describing in this Sermon on the Mount. Seek Jesus' reign and rule over every aspect of your life. And then work. Trust. Seek. Work, work for the things that are eternal. Work for Christ to be made known and worship. Work for the love of God to be known through you. Work that the kingdom of God may be advanced. And as you trust and seek and work these things, walk out the gospel 
in your life today. Apply the righteousness that you're learning Sunday by Sunday as we go through God's word as it's faithfully uh, preached here. Live it out. Start living it out now. Don't be given over to worry. It's not a good use of our time. It's not what God has appointed for our days. He's appointed us to be kingdom seekers. He's appointed us to be righteousness seekers, free from the love of the things of this world. Jesus tells us that when we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all the other things that we need will be given to us. God knows what we need. And he's promised to provide. Let me just clarify something. Jesus is advocating for us to trust God as our provider, but he's not saying, don't plan ahead. Uh, It's not wrong to plan ahead. It's not wrong to have a rainy day fund. It's not wrong to take out insurance if you need to. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. It's being worked out now. You are here now because that's part of God's plan for your life. One day, uh, the new heaven and the new earth will come into existence. That's a part of God's plan. It will happen. Uh, Nick prayed. The leaders of this church make plans for the future. Right that they should. And so should we. We should plan for tomorrow. But we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. And Jesus is advocating for us uh, to trust God as our provider. But he's not advocating idleness. That we should just sit there and do nothing. Paul says that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. We mustn't sit on our hands waiting for God to drop a KFC family bucket into our lap. Uh, Jesus isn't excusing us from work. He wants us to work diligently. He's not excusing us from caring for other people. We have a responsibility to people within the family of God and outside it. It can be very challenging, you know, to look up from our circumstances, to look into our communities and look into the world. You know, so many are without the basics of life. They're dying without food, without water, without clothing. And if God is a faithful provider, if God cares for his children, why are so many in the world without? It's a good question, isn't it? As his children, as his kingdom here on earth right now, we are the means of God's gracious provision to those without. I wonder if we're walking that way. Are we open-handed with our resources? We've been very blessed, you know. We've been given much that we might be a blessing by giving it to those who have nothing. That we might be the mercy of God to those who do not have food or drink or clothing. Jesus isn't exempting us from the responsibility to work or the responsibility to care for others. And he's not exempting us from trouble. Verse 34, Therefore, don't we about tomorrow... But tomorrow we'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Trusting God and not worrying doesn't mean that trouble won't come to us. Trouble does come. And we are fearful. And we do worry. But the power to stop worrying is Jesus. 
we need to come to Jesus. We need to lay our burden of worry at his feet. We mustn't presume that we have to carry our burden of worry on our own. That's not what he says. That's not what's required from us. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, says Jesus. Give me your load of care. I'll take it. I'll give you my burden. My burden is light, he says. When trouble comes, and it will, when worry and anxiety and fear strike us, and they will, we need to come to Jesus. We need to cast our anxiety on him. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see how practical Jesus is? He knows that we worry about the things that face us now. And he knows that many of us worry about the things that might face us tomorrow. And that's a big problem for me. Lots of my worries come from what might happen tomorrow. I'm downcast. I'm distraught. I'm looking at what I have. I'm looking at what I don't have. I'm looking at what's happening. I'm looking at what's not happening. I'm looking at everything around. And I'm not looking to Jesus. I'm doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. I'm worrying about my life. I'm not coming to him. Don't worry about tomorrow. Can I tell you? You're not promised tomorrow. You're given today. And I need to trust today. I need to seek today. I need to work today. I need to walk obediently today. I need to come to Jesus today. And as we pray, give us today our daily bread. We can feast on our daily bread today. And we can trust that he will be a faithful provider of our daily bread tomorrow. Over the last three years, I've retired. I said to my friend Ian, I've not done it gracefully. I've not retired gracefully. I've been anxious, I've been fretful, I've been worried about what lies ahead, I've been seriously worrying about my life. Jesus says I don't need to worry about my tomorrow today. Mercy has been provided for me today. You know, the number of my days is set. But my days are also filled. What God has for me is there already. Every day till the end of my days. I don't need to worry about it. I can't change it. I can't ruin it. I can't spoil it. Because my God is sovereign. He has appointed my days for his glory and for my joy. And I can trust him to meet my need. Every day can be an adventure. Every day I can discover what Jesus has got in store for me. Rather than worrying about my life, isn't that a better way to live? Oh, that I might do it. 
that I might discover and experience and explore this day that he's set before me, that I might steward wisely what he puts into our hands, that I might look carefully at what he puts before my eyes, that I might walk uh, obediently uh, where he guides my feet, all for the glory of his name. We don't need to worry. We have a good father. He loves us. He's filled our days. So let us trust and seek and work and walk and come to him. Let's set out into the week and the month and the years ahead in faith. And if it seems impossible to you right now from where you are to obey his command not to worry, well, he's gracious, you know. Let's ask him to help us to obey him. You may have wondered about why I read about manna in the wilderness at the beginning. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with worry, does it? But I want to finish with a quote from John Piper's book, A Godward Life. He said, The manna in the wilderness was given one day at a time. There was no storing up. That's the way we must depend on God's mercy. You don't receive today the strength to bear tomorrow's burdens. You are given mercies today for today's troubles. Tomorrow, the mercies will be new. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? I asked you to just remember that hymn that we sang. This morning I was thinking, if I wanted to close in prayer, what would I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus is our shepherd, that we shall not want, for he makes us lie down in green pastures. He lies, leads us beside still waters. He restores our souls. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, may we fear no evil. Heavenly Father, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, may they comfort us. You prepare a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. Father, you provide everything we need. And Heavenly Father, for those of us who are prone to worry, please remind us each day that surely goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.